Let's go ahead and take our Bibles here this morning. We'll be turning, uh, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And uh, again, we're going to continue in our series on Sunday mornings on Bible prophecy. We looked at last week on some details concerning the Antichrist and uh, his role in end times. And uh, what's interesting about him is he'll be received. And he'll be received by the masses. And uh, Revelation 13 says, Who is like unto the beast? Uh, he will be admired also by the masses. And uh, as we read in Matthew chapter 24 here this morning, and we'll also be reading over there in Revelation chapter 13 in just a moment, I want to look at some identifiers of the false prophet and things that the Bible uh, speaks about concerning him. And uh, let's begin here by looking at some false prophets that Jesus spoke about here in Matthew chapter 24, associated with the end times. Matthew 24, let's begin in verse number 3. Matthew 24, verse number 3. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things, uh, these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. It goes on, and we read through this a lot of times, and so I'm going to skip through this. Verse 11, speaking about the false prophets, And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. Again, about false prophets, verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And then I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 13, which speaks specifically of the false prophet, the false prophet. There are antichrists, First John chapter 2, verse 18, talk about antichrist, and there is the antichrist, which is also spoken about here in Revelation chapter 13. But I'd like us to look here at, again, the false prophet here. As, again, we pick up in verse number 11, the Bible says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Revelation 13, 11. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth, and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed and doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down out of heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast and saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And it causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. 
This morning, I want to consider some thoughts on the false prophet and the mark of the beast. Let's consider some thoughts here from the Word of God. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this time. We can, again, look into your Word and and see uh, what the future holds to some degree and, and see this figure that's going to be coming to the earth someday, this false prophet. Again, as we consider the, the word of God, help us to rightly divide it. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want to go look at some identifiers to begin with when it comes to false prophets. You know, there are many false prophets that are in the world today, and there are many false prophets that have been in the history of man. And we find here in the Bible, the, me- the Bible mentions another beast there, verse number 11. This is the false prophet. This is the name of that uh, false prophet, a name for him given to him. In verse 11, it says, And it beheld another beast come out of the earth, and he had two horns like a, a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And so I want to consider, first of all, the appearance of the lamb, of this, uh, again, this, this beast or false prophet. He will be a deceptive and dangerous figure that will come upon the earth. The Bible mentions, again, what's dangerous about him. In verse number 11, it says, He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the man, uh, sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell, that they should make an image to the beast which had a wound by a sword and did live. And so we see in the Bible, it talks about his appearance. In verse number 11, it mentions specifically, he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So he's associated with the appearance of a lamb. Now I know this is figurative, it would seem here, and again, I don't know what the two horns would represent for sure, but I do know this about false prophets. They have the appearance of a lamb. All of them do. Everyone throughout history has. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. They don't have the appearance of the devil. They don't have the appearance of a lion. They don't have the appearance of a wolf. They have an appearance of a lamb. And so we see here, the Bible speaks about this here also in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus identifies some things concerning the false prophet. In Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And so it identifies the false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing. Again, as I think about the clothing of such a person, their appearance would be that of religious and also non-threatening. A lamb isn't threatening, is it? Not threatening at all. Certainly, again, not anything that anybody would be scared about, concerned about, and again, I think about the false prophets of both yesterday and this false prophet that come. They are both religious and seemingly non-threatening. Yet the Bible says they are inwardly ravening wolves. And a wolf, again, will seek to destroy, to consume, to devour. Again, uh, again you see the appearance of the false prophet will be like the former prophets, that of being non-threatening to a large degree. Let's just turn forward here to Matthew chapter 23. So much of the New Testament involves false prophets and false teachers and false Christs and and again, another Jesus, another gospel, and uh, again, another spirit even. It talks about that in the New Testament here. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse number 28. Matthew 23, verse number 28. 
The Bible speaks about, again, these false teachers here again. Verse 28, it says, Even as you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Appear righteous before men. Again, I think about the false prophets even today, and there are a lot of them, and I could identify some of them if you'd like to here this morning and give them names that you could, again, consider here today. But as you consider, again, these people here, they appear righteous unto men. And what does that mean? That means they appear right. They don't appear wrong. They appear right. And again, I just want to say this about false prophets. False prophets normally have a large following. They have a large following. Again, you'll find, again, uh, false prophets today, and, and sometimes they'll go down to especially places like Africa or Asia or even America, and they'll, they'll, in a sense, rape the citizens of their finances. They come along and they'll say, well, just give us some money, and you'll have prosperity as a, as a result of that. You'll find, again, places in Africa and, and villages in Africa at times where, where someone will come in. You, you can talk to Brother Kuzel about this sometimes, Scott Kuzel about this. But they'll come into that village and they'll, they'll preach a prosperity gospel. If you give to the Lord, God will give you back. And they'll take away the finances of many of those people. And they'll, they'll come away thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to be in a great place spiritually now because I've given to the Lord, so to speak, and now God is going to bless me financially. And then finding out as a result of that, they're just poor in the end. They're just deceptive, deceivers, and claiming things that aren't true. Giving the Lord isn't necessarily going to lead to your blessings financially. Again, especially if it's not given of the right means or the right motive. Again, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we find religious leaders today that appear right, they appear good, they appear great. Uh, they are the, on the Christians' most wanted or most read list. They, again, certainly are identified today by many people by name. Uh, they seem to, again, even transform themselves into the apostles of Christ, being seemingly able to do some of the miracles and wonders that the apostles were able to do during the first century. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 13. False prophets, false teachers will appear to be God's ministers. And uh, it again says this also, Paul writes of this in verse number 13 and and following, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transferring themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." And so the Bible mentions here that they transfer themselves into the apostles of Christ. Again, I, I think today, I mean, it's pretty easy to identify a false prophet today, at least in some places. They will even call their pastor an apostle, apostle whatever it might be. And that's not the only way sometimes they're identified. Again, false teachers and false prophets will identify themselves by different many Many different ways. Finding different ways to deceive and to destroy. If you turn back to uh, Revelation chapter uh, 13 there, if you would. Revelation chapter 13. And, and uh, you find here in the Bible that, again, uh, again the, the, the Bible speaks of this, this false prophet speaking as a dragon. 
In verse number 11, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse number 11, it says, he had like, uh, two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And again, the Bible describes the dragon in the chapter before, uh, verse number 9 of chapter 12, it says, And that great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, and was cast on the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The great dragon is the devil and Satan. But this minister, this prophet, this counterfeit, will speak as a, a dragon. He will use the subtlety of Satan to deceive. He will speak of another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse number 3 and verse number 4. You know, Paul here uncovers to some degree, not only here in 2, Chronicle, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, some identifiers concerning the false prophet, but also Peter does there, and Jude does, and other New Testament preachers and teachers did. Again, we don't have time again to look at those uh, passages here uh, this morning, but I want you to notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, at verse number 3 and 4, it says, For I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if any cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another spirit, another gospel, sorry, which ye have not accepted, you might bear well with him. The real identity of a false teacher is a religious imposter. They will preach another Jesus. And you'll be able to recognize the Jesus of the Bible by the scriptures. And you'll see again them preach a different Jesus. You'll see again the spirit of the Bible identified as being associated with the truth. But their, their spirit will be identified with sensuality, corruption, worldliness, whatever it might be. Again, another gospel, that's just a different gospel, one different than the Bible's gospel. And again, if you find again a false prophet, they will identify with another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Let's to the Jeremiah chapter 23. I think it's good for us to, again, recognize uh, that there are some identifiers when it comes to the false teacher. He will be identified by his subtlety, his trickery. Uh, they will subtly seem to be on the side of the truth, but you'll see them side with Satan, and they'll side against the truth. You say, how is this? Well, look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 32, and uh, we find here, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number uh, 32, uh, some identifiers when it comes to the false teacher that Jeremiah gave us. And I think they're good for us to, to remember. And it's something I've always remembered. And, and again, not always, but I'm saying since I've been taught on these things, uh, seemingly remembered. And again, if you, again, write in your Bible, I'm not saying you, could, you should write in your Bible, but again, maybe you'd want to circle a couple words here that start with the letter L here as we read through, read through the verse 32. The Bible says, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams. So these are false teachers, saith the Lord. And, and, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. 
yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. How can you identify a false teacher? Lies and lightness. Now we could spend a lot of time on these two thoughts, but lies, lies about God, lies about the truth, lies about what God says, lies about the scriptures, lies about Jesus Christ, lies about things to come, just lies, just lies. Not the truth, but lies. How do you identify them? By lies. Not all the time they're going to lie. So, you know, someone's going to deceive you. They've got to tell you some things that are true, and they're going to tell you lies. But you see lies. And again, I spent a lot of time on these two words because I think they're important. Lightness. Lightness. There's no weight. There's no power. There's no heaviness. There's no uh, toughness to what they say. They're lightness. If you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, they'd always prophesy to the kings, oh, you know, if you do this, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine here. If you go into battle, you'll be great. You'll be fine. They'll, they'll, they'll prophesy lightness. Again, they lie and they're light. Again, some people might call them lightweights. Again, they don't preach the truth, not the whole truth. They might preach one side of the truth. It's all about love for them. It's all about, again, things that, that don't really matter. It's all about palatability. It's about acceptability. It's about, again, preaching those things that are, again, people would like to hear. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Again, you find, again, the false teacher to be identified by their light and their lightness. And again, you'll find again in the, uh, throughout history, you'll find lies and lightness. There is no true hell. You can identify again false teachers this way. This would wipe out a whole group of, of again, teachers and preachers today. They don't preach about hell. It's too heavy for them. It's, it's too difficult for them to understand that God would condemn someone to hell. And so they'll just not preach on the subject of hell or the the subject of sin, because that's heavy, that's weighty, that's hard for people to, to listen to. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34, the Bible says, O generation of vipers, who can, uh, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the days of judgment. The false prophet will be identified by his lies and his lightness. And so we see the false prophet partly identified here. We see his character here. We see his appearance of a lamb. Inwardly, he's a dragon. He's a, again, he's a wolf. Again, he's a ravening wolf. He is inwardly a liar and deceiver. He may appear to be righteous before men, but he will deceive many through his religious words and his deeds. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 13 there again. We're going to come back here. Revelation chapter 13. What is the program of the false prophet? What is the program of the true prophet? The program of the true prophet is to point people to Jesus Christ. 
the program, so to speak, or the purpose of the false prophet is to get people to worship a false Christ. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 12, it says of this beast here, it says in verse 12, the another beast, we're not talking about the Antichrist here, we're talking about the false prophet, the another beast. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Again, his purpose and his program is to do one thing, to cause people to worship this false Christ. He will fulfill his role to a large degree as he gets the world to a large degree to, again, uh, uh, bow themselves down to this false Christ. He will point people to error rather than the truth. Let's turn to John chapter 16. I just want to identify that Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, will, again, bring people to a position where they will, uh, again, associate themselves and, and, and be in a position where they will, again, uh, uh, be guided to the truth by the Holy Spirit and to Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will point them to Jesus Christ. Uh, you see this in verse number 13 and verse 14. It says, How be it he, the, the Spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit's going to glorify Jesus Christ, me. Uh, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. And so, again, the real Holy Spirit will point people to Jesus Christ. This false prophet will point people to Satan's, again, leader so to speak, the Antichrist. Through signs and wonders, he will deceive them. And again, that's needful for us to be able to, to understand this. Through miracles, uh, people are often deceived. And you see that in verse number 15 of this chapter. It says, it says And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause them that as many that would not worship the image of the beast, that they should be killed. And so we see he deceiveth by means of those miracles. You see that back in verse 14. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles. Miracles. What kind of miracles can this false prophet do? Well, verse 13 says there, he maketh fire to come down from heaven. Now that would be amazing to see. I haven't seen a false prophet today do that. I don't know that there, if there's been any false prophet in history that's done that. I know that there's a true prophet in history that did that. Elijah caused fire to come down from heaven. But we find in the Bible that this false prophet will be able to duplicate or replicate or somehow, again, uh, bring fire down from heaven. So again, that's quite deceptive, isn't it? Most people would say anybody who could call fire from heaven certainly would be of God. And yet this guy is of the devil. He could receive by those means of those miracles, causing fire to come down from heaven. And it mentions there in verse number 14, he deceived them by means of the, those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. And it doesn't identify the miracles that he's able to do, uh, but, but I do know that the Bible speaks about miracles that uh, again, people possessed of the devil or controlled by a devil or empowered the devil were able to do. 
And again, I don't have time to go back here, but if you're taking notes, you can write down Exodus chapter 7, uh, verse 10 and 12, Exodus chapter 7, verse 22, Exodus chapter 8, verse number 7, Exodus chapter 8, verse 18. And again, you can write down Deuteronomy 13, verse number 1 through 3, and you can see that, again, these, these prophets, these false prophets, are going to be able to do miracles. This is where I think there's great deceptive in our world today. You know, most people have in their head, if anybody can do miracles, they certainly got to be of God. The largest so-called Christian denomination in this world will allow you, so to speak, to be a saint if there's, someone, if there's people that can identify that you have done two miracles. So if you've done two miracles and they've been authenticated by this Christian group, the largest so-called Christian group of, in the world, if you can be identified with two miracles, you can become a saint. What's the largest Christian denomination in the world? Nobody has to answer. If you'd, if, if, if you'd like to answer, you probably know. What's the largest? That's how they identify if someone's a saint. I know that might sound mean or whatever, but it's doctrine what they do. After their popes die, after others die in their, in their history, they, they, they identify if this person is a saint by if they can do miracles. But you got to understand the devil can do miracles. Elijah called down fire from heaven in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse number 12 through 14. And he is identified as a true prophet. There's no doubt about that. But to duplicate these true prophet miracles, again, someone might say, well, no one can do those sorts of things. Nobody can call fire down from heaven. This false prophet will. Not only that, he says other miracles, those miracles which he hath power to do in the sight of the beast. It's power to do things. It goes on there, and it says there in verse number 15, which is, again, something I don't quite understand here. Maybe I, I do understand, but I don't want to maybe understand. I don't know if I fully understand. Maybe I'm just trying not to read it as it is, but let's read verse 15. It says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. He told these people to make an image or an idol. And then the Bible says there in verse 50, he had power to give life to the image of the beast. Someone says, I don't know. Maybe he does. You know, whatever. He has his power to give life. Well, people can fake life. It says there, the image of the beast should both speak and cause that, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Power to give life on the image of the beast. That seems certainly unusual. A dumb image given life? A dumb idol given life? More likely a statue given life? Is this real life? Or is deceptive life? I don't know. I mean, I know that the devil and demons can, can go into pigs. Right? You see that in the Bible? And so I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I, I see in the Bible here something very deceptive. A false prophet doing great wonders, doing imitating miracles, 
And the Bible speaks of him being of the devil. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Some people would say, I just don't get this. I don't, you know, it's never been that way where, where people that do miracles uh, are not of God. I mean, I mean, that's what some people would think. They say, I mean, if someone does miracles, they certainly must be of God. They must be sent by God. They must be speakers of God. They must be of God for sure. But yet Jesus says in the chapter here in Matthew 7 that identifies false prophets as coming to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly are waving wolves. Verse 15, it goes on verse 21. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is heaven. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? Again, many. And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto him, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many prophesying in his name. And casting out devils in his name. Doing many wonderful works in his name. Do you think the false prophet will do any of these kinds of sorts of things? Absolutely. And the Bible says of these folks here, they were never known of the Lord. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 13. The proclamation of the false prophet is twofold. Worship the image or die. Take the mark or you not be able to buy or sell. These are two main messages of the false prophet. Worship the image or die. Take the mark or you not be able to buy or sell. Verse number 15 and following says, And he had power to give life on the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak. It caused them as many as not worship. The image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their head or in their foreheads. They had no, that no man might buy or sell, say, he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred and three score and six. So six hundred three times twenty is, is sixty, sixty-six. And so this false prophet will uh, declare forced worship. And this false prophet will implement a program where you'll be forced to take a mark or you will not be able to buy or sell. And uh, so again, you find here he'll cause all, both rich and solid, to receive a mark in their hand or in their foreheads. And so you see the force seeing of the beast. Again, false prophets will force worship where true prophets will call for a voluntary worship. Again, I just want to turn to Revelation chapter 19. I, I want you to know, and I, we looked at this last week, that this false prophet, along with the Antichrist, will be cast into hell. He will be put down in the end. His end will be, again, again in the lake of fire. And so we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20, the Bible says, And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with whom he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. Those were both cast alive into lake burning with fire and brimstone. And so we see him cast into hell. 
In verse number 10, it says this, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, both the false prophet, and here we find again the, the, uh, uh, the, the false Christ, the Antichrist, will be tormented in the place called hell forever. I want to consider here finally as we turn back to Revelation chapter 13 and uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse number 16 through 18, the mark of the beast. There's been a lot of talk about the mark of the beast and people are concerned about the mark of the beast. And we have a track in the back that deals with the end time and the mark of the beast. And often in these tracks is depicted, again, a, a, a 666 on a forehead, right? Have you seen tracks like that, a 666 on your forehead? Or you've seen a rock band a musician have a 666 on his forehead or a tattoo on his hand or whatever it might be. Um, 666, a mark like that. I just want to say this, this mark, again, is, is much speculation that uh, goes around this mark. But uh, this mark is not necessarily a 666. And this mark is not going to be on the hand or in, on, on the head, but it will be in the head or in the uh, right hand. It says there in verse number 16, it says receives a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Now, why the right hand? I have no idea. I really don't have. But I'm just saying there's amputees, right? So if you can't put it in a hand, it's going to be in your forehead. It's going to be a mark place. Now, you know, some people would say, I mean, looking back historically, uh, most would say I well, let's just put it, make it on instead of in, or let's change again maybe what it really says here. But what I'm saying and what I'm going to try to look at here as we get to the end of the message is uh, how could this identifier come to be today? Now, I just want to say this again, with, with using the in the hand or in the forehead, has there ever been anything implanted in the head or in the hand prior to, say, 1980? That would be something that could identify someone else. Well, I'm not saying I know for sure, but if you'll search the World Wide Web, not that everything is perfect on there, but the first, the first implantation that took place with humans, as far as I can see, and I, this is verified by several different sources, happened in 1998. 1998. Now, that's not that long ago. And you say, what kind of implant was used in 1998? 98. October 6, 1998. The article that I have written here says micro implants to foil VIP kidnappers. A new microchip is being embedded into the bodies of Italian dignitaries who fear being kidnapped. So what was it used first for? So you can steal a person. So they could find that person. That's, again, how an implant was first used. Microimplants started in 1998. I keep saying 88, probably because I graduated in 88. No, 1998. But anyways, um, so you see a microimplant started there basically in 1998. Maybe it's a little bit before that, but basically that's when it started. As, again, some way to keep people from being kidnapped. Again, in, implant technology has progressed, and I just, I'm going to give you some old history and then some new history. Again, the new history, to me, is a bit scary, at least as far as I'm concerned. 
The old history, I just want to show you this technology has been around for a while. Again, back there in 1999, again, you see this article by PC Computing, Advantages of Implanted Technology. PC Computing, you've probably heard of them before. How do you like to avoid waiting to have, uh, waiting, uh, wait, how would you like to avoid waiting for the rest of your life? Never have to show your ID, buy a ticket, carry your keys, remember a password. You wouldn't have to carry a wallet. Family and friends could easily find you in a great crowd. Identifier, implanted technology. We have the technology in 1999. You know, I can implant this in you and you can have some way of finding me. Uh, this is 1999, implanted technology. Uh, in 2000, July 12, 2000, all six Los Angeles animal shelters will start implanting all animals under their control with an electron ID device. Daily News, Los Angeles, July 12, 2000. So used in animals, tracking people, tracing people, trying to stop people from being kidnapped, maybe being able to have this fun technology. Hey, you can find your friend in the crowd, so to speak, if you just get this te technology. Uh, 2001, fingerprint replaced lunch money in Pennsylvania. Fingerprint technology are now being used to purchase lunches in Tulsi Mountain School District in Pennsylvania. Advantages, makes school lunch, uh, makes it impossible to steal school lunch money. Um, uh, lose, not, not able to lose, again, a card or a swipe card. And also, again, to avoid the stigma of a free lunch. And so, it's just prints. And you've seen print technology. I remember seeing this back in Ian Fargo years ago. The Cashwise brought out fingerprint uh, technology. It was back in 2000 or so that they did that. The Kroger store in 2001 now is using, again, point of entry fingerprint scanning to allow you into the building. Yeah, and you... You've heard of technology along that line. Maybe you haven't. Uh, in 2004, implanted uh, chips gives medical data. That's 2004. The FDA said uh, Wednesday, this is October 14, 2004, uh, again, could make a very chip, implanted computer chip the size of a piece of rice uh, for, used for medical purposes to identify your, your medical, te medical background. It takes about 20 minutes to insert into your hand and uh, leaves no stitches behind. And uh, that was in 2004. Now, I just want to say about the early technology, a lot of it was stopped, right? Do you remember, again, seeing fingerprint technology someplace? I do. Fingerprint technology in some stores, and then they got rid of it. People didn't like it. It, it, it continued in different places. Again, this technology, again, has increased. Again, in September of 2020, Amazon, again, has palm scanning technology. Palm scanning technology, that's September of 2020. Whole Foods, again, palm scanning technology, April 2021. Uh, Swedish companies begin to implant, again, uh, these implants in the hand to be used, again, for monetary purpose. And again, that began in basically 2021, 2022. And again, you'll see today that there's a, a company by the name of Walmart, again, Waltimore, 
again, implanting technology in your hand. It only costs you $300 and you don't have to have your credit card or your, you know, if you use some kind of device like that, you don't have to do that. They can have it right in your hand. It goes right, right about here in your hand. You can look online and see where they put it. Quick, quick surgery, small implant, put in your hand. You don't need your wallet. You know all these wave things? You've, you've seen that. You just wave your card over it. You can wave your hand over that same kind of technology. And uh, anyone says, well, I don't think this could happen. I don't think people will go for it. I just want to say the technology isn't going over fast. Uh, the most accepting of this technology right now is Sweden. Sweden is, and again, they've been always tech-type people, but Sweden is taking on that. There's about, uh, I think, about 4,000 people that have now taken on this technology or so there in Sweden. Again, having an implant in their hands so that they don't have to carry around IDs and things like that. So you, you can see, again, years and years of this technology, and it's getting better, and it's changing, and all those kind of things. But uh, just want to mention again, what's kind of scary to me is uh, March 9th, 2022. And someone says, why is it scary? I'm not scared about it. I'm not scared about it. I just see it moving towards digital technology. On March 9th, 2022, um, Joe Biden, again, gives an executive order exploring digital, the digital dollar, the digital dollar. I like to doll my billfold. Like to be able to feel it, touch it, whatever. But a lot of people don't like that for a lot of different reasons. You know, money laundering and all these kind of things. Uh, you know, you can lose a, uh, have you ever lost a big bill? Never lose a big bill this way. Again, people can't counterfeit it. The only thing with that technology they say today is <laughs> the computer geeks are able to mess around with the technology, even the technology in your hand. So yeah, they can scan your hand but geeks can also mess with that identity. They can steal that identity. They can change that identity. And that's where we're having uh, some struggles here today with implementing this technology. Uh, again, with COVID-19, there's been a lot of move towards, there's a need for us to be identify where you're at, who you are, and all those kind of things. And there are people who just love that technology. Voluntarily, it gave away their technology, their phone during the COVID thing. And, and people are tracing their phones even today. Your phone might be traced everywhere you go, every place you go today. I mean, I, I have it turned off, but I can have it turned on. So if someone was kidnapped me and I had that technology turned on, wherever my phone might be, maybe they'd be able to find me. And so some people say, it's good, it's great, it's wonderful. But at the same time, what if the government was out to try to find you for not the proper purposes? Or whatever it might be, you might not want them to have that technology. So again, there's lots of different uh, goods and bad about this technology, but I want you to notice there in verse number 16, the Bible says, it causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Again, you'll even find today some companies that have this technology where they'll have volunteers of their company have this implants in their hands, so they don't have to bring their swipe card to work anymore. A lot of places you gotta swipe a card to go into work. But not with that technology. You'd have it right in your hand. The mark of the beast is not some improbable thing, some sci-fi thing that couldn't happen. It could be implemented quite easily, I believe, today. People would likely take, again, a, a, um, a mark so that they could buy and sell, and they can eat, and they can go from place to place. 
Uh, you see that again even today with people today being uh, told you have to have this card or identifier if you want to travel from place to place. And again, you might not have seen that in our region of the country, but in Canada, you couldn't even travel from Providence to Providence without a passport. An in-country passport. Australia, same thing. Other places. No passport, no travel. So what do you do? You stay at home. <laughs> no, most people go along with it. Let's turn to Luke 13 and I'll close here. The false prophet and the mark of the beast are things that are coming. The technology is certainly there to put an implant of some kind. Again, I believe it's going to be an implant if it's going to be something in a hand or in a forehead. It more than likely would have to be some kind of implant that will allow you to be able to buy and sell uh, or, or, or not be able to eat and that sort of thing. Um, I want to close with these verses. Luke chapter 13, verse number uh, 23 through verse number 28. The Bible says, The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, which uh, neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than they? And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do the thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon all his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today, and the, uh, in, uh, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Just want to end with those words there. Someone says, well, how will Christians be taken care of during that time? God will take care of them if he has the ability to take care of them. All right, let's close as we consider some thoughts on the false prophet and the mark of the beast. These are some things that the Bible teaches are coming.